Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message entitled Perversions of Love was given by Darren Roundson and is the first in our series, The Seven Deadly Sins. All right. If you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 3. If you don't have one, you can raise your hand and we'll have some people pass out the Bibles. Genesis chapter 3. Last week I mentioned that we were going to start a new series. And just raise your hand and we'll have somebody pass out some Bibles if you need them. Uh, We're starting just a a mini-series in between the Sermon on the Mount as we prepare for Easter. And the series is titled, Distortions of Love, the Seven Deadly Sins. Um, And we'll get to that and why we're doing that. But today's kind of an introduction to what we're going to be talking about the next kind of three weeks before Easter. Because Easter comes... And uh, we really want to just prepare ourselves as followers to know what Easter represents and the cost of, of Good Friday. And in order to celebrate almost the next season, it shouldn't just be a day. Easter should really be months and months of just celebration for what the resurrection is. But we want to prepare together today. So Genesis chapter 3, let's read this together. It says uh, in verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This is a story of the fall of man. Genesis chapter 1, God creates cosmos, everything. Genesis 2 is another creation account. God creates Adam and Eve. And uh, he creates Adam and Eve, and, and, and everything's perfect. And if you look at the bottom of, uh, I'm sorry, on top of the page 2, in verse 25 of chapter 2, it says, The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And, and the writer, this is really ringing. Is that just me? Do you want me to just use something else? That's helpful, yeah. I'll just talk louder. Is that better? Sound better? Okay, cool. So the writer of, of Genesis, Moses, is most likely the, the author. He's making something clear. Genesis 2, there's no sin in the world. Genesis 3 is the introduction to temptation and sin. So we see that Adam and Eve are, hang, are hanging out together. And this uh, serpent, who we would just call the accuser, some type of evil, someone opposing God's will, comes and does something called temptation. This is the first time it's introduced. And this is kind of what temptation looks like in a narrative form. And the, the, the serpent says, hey, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And she says, no, that's not what he said. Somewhere along the line, in Genesis 2 and 3, God said, don't eat from the tree of knowledge. Surely you will die. Or, and you will, otherwise we will die. And, and this is the crafty serpent. He says, well, he's kind of just twisting the truth. And look at what the temptation is. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, you, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Knowing good and evil. You will be like God. Go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. The temptation, you will be like God, 
knowing good and evil. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And then he goes on and he creates man in his image and in his likeness. And all of a sudden there's this temptation. What is, what is going on? What is this temptation? The temptation for Adam and Eve, and really for all of us, is to be like God in another means other than obedience. The temptation to be like God was coming to, in a way, to be like Him in another means other than obedience. Their temptation was not something they didn't already have. They had it. And the only way that you actually can have it is through the relationship with God and through obedience to Him. So we see, we see this temptation, and, and look at what the progression of temptation looks like. And all of us, do, we struggle with sin. I'm just going to make a blanket statement. Most of us struggle with sin. Just follow the progression of what you see Eve do. And, and I just want to say really quick, Eve and Adam were together. It's not that they were separate. There's a line in here that says they were, uh, the husband um, who was with her, he ate it. It's the idea that they were both together at the same time. It's not that Eve was there and Adam wasn't. They were both participating in this. And notice the, the temptation. It's this. It says, um, when she saw the fruit of the tree, it was good for food. When she saw that it was good for food, notice the progression, it was pleasing to the eye, and it was desirable for gaining wisdom. The nature of temptation is that same type of progression. It's just justification, right? It's just continue. It's good. It's pleasing. It's desirable. And so they eat of the fruit, and it's the fall of man. And notice what happens, the effects of sin. I'm just giving a quick brief statement here, and we're going to get into something else. Their eyes were open, and they realized that they were naked. And they were, um, so they, they hid themselves with leaves. And it continues and says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord called out to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put with me, she gave me some fruit to eat and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. This should grieve us. Notice what the effects of sin. They're walking in the garden naked, unashamed. Sin is introduced and the first thing that comes into place is shame. They recognize they're naked, so they hide themselves with leaves. Whenever sin is introduced to a situation, shame is the immediate thing that comes in. The second thing that comes in, if you just follow along, is that Adam was afraid. Because of sin, fear enters into the world. Shame and fear. And the third thing that, that happens is hiding. Not only was Adam and, and Eve, not only were they hiding from each other, but they were hiding from God. And they're hiding inevitably from their, true, from their true selves, from themselves. So sin is introduced into the world. Shame is introduced. They're hiding. They're no longer naked. Fear is introduced. They're even afraid of God because of what that represents. And they hide from each other and hide from themselves. And they hide from God. And the last thing that comes in, and I think this is the one that really hits me, uh, it's just sad. It says, uh, look over at... Uh, I just let me let me make this point a little better. Genesis chapter two. Look at verse twenty-three. 
God gives Adam the authority in Genesis chapter 2 to rule over all of creation. And part of his rulership or his subduing of creation is, is to name the animals. That's giving authority over. So he's naming all the animals. And it comes to a point where there's not a suitable helper, according to Genesis chapter 2. There's not a suitable helper for Adam. And so God, what does God do? Well, he puts Adam asleep, um, puts him to sleep, and he perfects his creation, and he makes woman. And uh, he takes his rib out, and that was a, a one-up for all the women here. Okay, nobody got it. Um, and and he, he makes woman. And notice, so Adam's naming all the different animals, and notice what happens when he, finds Eve, uh, when he finds Eve. He doesn't name her Eve. He says this. He wakes up, and he says, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. The word for woman is Isha, and the word for man is Ish. He doesn't name her. He gives her equality. He's not ruling over her. In Genesis chapter 2, the relationship between Adam and Eve is equal partners. When sin enters into the world, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, flesh becomes this woman you put here. And there's blame. And intimacy is destroyed. When sin enters into the world, intimacy, not just with God, not just with others, but ourselves, is destroyed. So as we look at Genesis 3, just I wanted to give you just a quick, quick nature of sin. What is, what is sin? Well, sin is, is a term used by, um, for archery, and it's basically that there's a bullseye, and when you shoot the arrow, you've missed the mark. That's what sin means. It simply means that God has designed our lives to be looking and, and lived a certain way, and we just miss it. Or it's wandering off the path. And as that is introduced into the world, it becomes a systemic injustice and it's corrupting the entire cosmos. And so from Genesis chapter 3 on, God begins to do what he calls uh, his, his mission. It's the mission of God. It's to restore, redeem, renew, and reconcile all things to himself. So, sin. And I just want to make a quick point. Notice, right after God kind of um, gives his authority, or I'm sorry, gives his curse, he, ta- he says in verse, um, of chapter 3, verse 16, that Adam will, will rule over her, his wife. And the first thing it, that he does, Adam does, right after God finishes his curses, is name Eve. Isn't that just grieving? Isn't that just sad? He names it. He's just practicing the rule over Anyways, that was just a side note. Um, sorry, that was probably for me more than anyone else. So I want to I talk about sin for just a moment um, and just give you a quick, quick kind of point. I think we've made little of what God has taken serious and made a big deal out of. Easter Sunday comes with a great cost. It comes with the cross three days before. And so what I want to do as a community is just walk through the seriousness of sin. And um, why we get to talk about it, we'll get to that in a second. But there's a guy named Gregory the Great. And in 590, he kind of coined this idea that because God is love, then sin is just naturally distortions or violations of love. Sin are violations of love. And so the way you push back against sin is primarily through love, which we're going to get to the next three weeks. But he came up with the seven categories of the seven deadly sins, which I'll put up on the screen, what we're going to do the next three weeks. Um, I think you have that. Do you have that, Larry? Okay, great. Um, 
But because uh, he calls them distortions of love. So next week, we're going to look at perversion of love, where pride, anger, and envy enters into our life, and how we find that rooting in our soul, where it comes up in relationships. Uh, We're going to talk about the week after that, insufficient love, sloth, or laziness. And I think this one is a devastating sin that we just mask through busyness. Um, and then misdirected love, which is greed, gluttony, and lust. So we're going to go through those together. Uh, but I wanted to talk through just fundamentally that, just say a few things, and then we're going to jump into Romans, because I think the only way we can talk about sin is if we really understand grace. So to first say, make sense of all of this, what we're going to do for the next three weeks, this is just setting us up, is really find out kind of the taxonomy of sin. Where, is it fi- where do we find it in our relationships? Because sin funda- fundamentally is self-denial. When we, when we miss the mark, we're denying our true selves as beloved. And so when Jesus says, deny yourselves, he's actually referring to our false selves. Because somehow we have been groomed in a false self to allow sin, shame, guilt, hiding, blame, and fear to enter into our relationship, into our lives, and into our relationship with God. Sound good? Let's go to Romans 6. Because this morning, we're looking at the cross in a familiar way for some, because we've talked about this before. Um, But we're looking at the cross as not just a place where Jesus died, but it's a place where we go and we die too. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. I'll let you guys get there. Romans 6, 1. says this. This is Paul. He's talking to the church in Rome. All right. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through the baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may, have, uh, may live a new life. What is Paul saying? This is going to be some complicated stuff, but just hang in there because it's going to land really well, I think. Paul's talking about this idea that as believers, when we, when we say yes to Jesus, when we accept him, he uses baptism as an illustration of what happens, what God has done. So when we, we say yes to Jesus, when we're baptized, Paul is saying we actually have died to our old self, that we've died along with him, And he's going to go on and say that we've actually raised with him. Let's keep going. Well, let me make sure I make that point. Okay, we'll keep going. Uh, Verse 5. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. So this is what Paul's saying. Paul is saying when you accept Jesus that you're actually participating with the cross. That your old self was crucified. Now what is the old self? Well, the old self is everything that had to do with your old way of living before you met Christ. That means the sin, the sinful nature that you were a part of. Lust, pride, anger, all the things that we're going to talk about. The things that miss the mark. Not only that, but your thoughts. Things that don't align with God's thoughts of you. So the insecurities that we embody, 
the fears that we embody, the shame that we embody, the hiding, all of that was part of the sinful nature. And this is what Paul's saying. That has been, past tense, has been crucified with Jesus Christ. And that the body of sin, all the things that have power over you, the sinful things in our lives, the things that have, have identified us to another way other than righteousness, have been crucified. It's past tense. And so what he says is that because of Jesus, because of the cross, those things have been crucified. Sin no longer has power over you. Only the power you give it. So he continues on, and he says, In the same way, count yourselves, verse 11, dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So, the first 11 verses is this. This is what God has done for you. All you do is accept Jesus, and God has crucified all the things that have marked you as sinful, as bad, as unholy, as, as what you, whatever you think of yourself, all the thoughts that you think that are bad, all those things have already been crucified by just saying yes. This is all the stuff that Jesus has done on the cross. So he's saying your sinful nature is dead. And think about crucifixion. That is a bloody death. You're beaten and you're tortured. Think about that's what the sin that you have is like that. That's your old self on that cross with Jesus. Paul uses 11 verses to say, this is what God's done for you. And this is the verses he gives us that, of what we do. It's called the indicative and the imperative. This is what God's done. This is how you live in response to what he's done. It says this, Therefore, he just said, sin is dead. Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies uh, so that you may obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer your parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness for the sin shall not be your master because you're, you, are under, uh, you are not under law, but you are under grace. Because of the cross, we no longer are identified with those things. We are now given a new nature, which we're going to talk about in just a second. But because of that, we are to put to death the things of our old selves. And I know this gets kind of confusing, but this is what Paul's saying. He's saying it's dead, your old self is dead, so kill it. He'll he'll use the opposite. He'll say this to us. You're holy, so be holy. Are you guys following? His logic, it's brilliant. Our old selves are dead, but there are remnants, the chains that we hold on to, that we actually have to participate with the cross and put to death. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> I want to make this point a little clearer. So here, here's what he says. He says, put to death the things that are, are of your old self. And he's going to make this point all throughout his epistles. So here's another way of looking at it. According to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22. <clears throat> it says, um, tw- verse 22, chapter 4. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on a new self, listen to this, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That link you to Genesis? 
Paul's saying, put, on the, put off the old self and put on the new. So he's saying, literally, we have a part to play in this, part, this process. We're, con- we're supposed to c- remember to take off the old self and put on the new. Flip over to uh, Colossians chapter 3. It's to the right. A couple pages. 818 in the Yellow Bible. I got there first. Oh, lost my mark. Verse 1. Paul's just, he makes this point all over again. And look at in, in Colossians. He says, since... Then you have been raised with Christ. We are to set our hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And listen to it, a past tense. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Where Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. What is he saying? He's saying the same exact thing. You have already died and now your life the ones we live right now is intended to be living with God. And that this life right now is actually hidden with the Trinity. That blows my mind. Our lives right now are hidden with Christ. God sees Christ's life over us. Is that good news? This is the gospel. This is the good news. The church always comes at it from a different angle. What must you do to earn righteousness? What must you do to earn salvation? Other religions, what must you do to get to a certain place? And Paul's saying, no, 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 It's already been done. And now that it's done, you're given a brand new identity. You are the new creation, a prototype from Easter. So put to death the things that are no longer a part of you. I love that verse. Flip over to Galatians uh, chapter 3. A couple pages back. I'm sorry, chapter 5. And we're going to do verse 16. I don't know if I put that in the notes. Sorry, Larry. I'm going to start at verse 16. Are you guys following along? Awesome. Verse 16, um, chapter 5. Paul's speaking again. So I say, live by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature, for the sinful nature's desires uh, desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of a sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, fractions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Listen to this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Those who, have, who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified. That word means continually crucify. It's an ongoing process. They continually crucify the sinful nature and its passions and desires. Paul is saying we don't have two natures. He's not saying that. Paul's not saying that our natures are something like this, angel on one side, devil on the other side, both us telling different things to do. That's not our nature anymore. Paul's saying we only have one nature. If we've accepted Christ, we are a new creation. That's what we're supposed to be identified by. 
And he's saying that old nature was actually crucified. We got this. So keep putting those things to death. Did I make that point clear? It's, it's, it's kind of like, um, um, let me go one more place. I love this verse, 1 Corinthians. I'm sorry to keep giving you a ton of scripture, but hopefully you like this. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Last one, I promise. (laughs) I'm just letting the text speak for itself. It says this, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither sexual immorality, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11. This is, he just lists this massive list. And look at what he says. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our Lord. I'm just going to read this over you. Some of you need to hear this right now. That is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our Lord. That is good news. That is what some of you were. We have that in our life. Some of us can look on that list and say, that actually was me. And the cross gives us a brand new identity. And the resurrection gives us a brand new identity to say, those old ways are no longer who we are. But we're given a new creation. And that we're to participate with the cross by putting to death those things. I, uh, I think for, to make sense of this, I mean, you've heard this illustration before, maybe some of you ha- haven't, but it's the perfect illustration. On my wedding day, actually, Bill Doctrine, the guy who speaks here, he's going to teach next week, he married Alex and I. And he says, Darren, you are now husband, or he says to Alex and I, you are husband and wife. Kiss your bride. Right, th- right at that moment, I have the title husband. I get to wear this ring. And I have this brand new identity. All those years before, I was single or I was in relationships, but I wasn't married. And for the first time, I'm now a husband. Do you think that when I was 20-something, 22, I knew what it meant to be a husband? Do you think that I naturally knew how to put toilet paper on the right direction? Or how to make the bed, (laughs) whatever. Or what? the serious issues. Do you think I knew how to live as Christ loved the church to my wife? That's what I was, but I had to put to death my old ways. I couldn't live as a husband, as a single person. I mean, would it be ridiculous if I was going on dates with other women? That's ridiculous. It's just as ridiculous for you to live with the other nature. It's just as silly. So... The language for the us this morning is simply this. You're given a new identity. Your old self is dead. It's been crucified with Christ. So kill it. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to examine ourselves. We're going to examine through talking about sin. We're going to examine through discussing sin, through talking about variations of sin, how it enters into our relationships. Because of this, because of these words from Paul, because it actually doesn't have authority or power over us for those that are in Christ. That we actually have power over it. 
And because we're called to live under that new reality, just as much as I was called to live as a husband, I now have to live as a new creation. So together as family, we're going to live and talk and work out and kind of a different conversational approach for the next few weeks. That way we can participate together with the cross. So for the next four weeks, guys, as we prepare for Easter, I just want you to examine yourselves and sit with that. How do you get to participate with the cross? What are the areas in your life that are are alive and kicking? I mean, I think I don't even need to give examples. We know it. We know how we're short with friends, with roommates. We know when lust comes in, when pride comes in, when anger comes in. We know when all these things begin to bubble up. It's not, it is our responsibility with the partnership of the Holy Spirit to put those things to rest. And that's good news. That's really good news. So in order to do this, we simply today, and I'm going to have the worship team come up. Um, I think this, this morning, it really is about celebrating. The next, I mean, and that's the thing. Every week as we talk about sin, it's not to be, woe is me, I'm sinful. Well, yeah, you are, great. But really what it's about is simply recognizing your new identity and celebrating in the freedom that we have. So as we talk about free, free, uh, sin, it's about freedom. Because all we're doing is talking about it so we can simply live in the reality of what we have, and that's freedom through Christ. So to, to this morning, I just want to encourage you to celebrate. The message is, is about celebration. If you need prayer because maybe there's something very specific, we want to pray for that freedom for you today. We'll call you to the side or to the back. But it, it, really, it's about us just worshiping God for what he did on the cross. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you, God, for what you did on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, that you have given us a new identity, that we are products of the new creation, that sin no longer has power, that sin no longer has to cause shame, hiding, fear, guilt, blaming, that we can release those and live under the new creation that you called us to. So, Father, I pray right now that we would celebrate and and, and just enjoy what it means to be your beloved children. And thank you for what you've done on the cross. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear other messages from The Garden, or would like to find out more about The Garden Church, please visit us on the web at thegardenlb.org.